This is a presentation of the Trine Broadcasting Network, part of the Center for Sports Studies at Trine University. Learn more at trine.edu. You're listening to The Assist with Trevor Hart. Welcome back. The playoffs are continuing. We're still in the first round. A couple series have ended so far. We'll get into those. Really thought that all that was going to be talked about this week was the playoffs, but then on Wednesday, a bunch of coaching changes decided to happen and break news, so I'm going to talk about that a little bit. And of course, as always, anytime there is any predictions involved, I look like a total idiot. So let's just see how big of an idiot I am. All right, so I'm just going to pick off from the last time that I recorded, which was on Friday. So, start off, we're going to start on the west side of the playoff bracket. So, start off, number one seed, Utah Jazz won four straight to put away the Grizzlies. We'll go through the games. Not really going to go through uh, much for the uh, losing teams, less if a player did something really spectacular. So, game three, the Jazz won 121-111. to 111. Mike Conley stepped up big with almost 30 points. Really big game for him. Uh, people were really wondering if Mike Conley was really worth what, if he was really still that good anymore. But um, he's, a, he's always been like a perimeter all-star player. Surprised he never made one, especially when he was in Memphis. So, big game for Mike Conley. And then we move on to game four. Jazz won 120 to 113. Spider Donovan Mitchell with 30 points, and Jordan Clarkson proves that he is the sixth man of the year with an astounding 24 points off the bench. Move on to game five. The Jazz win 126 to 110. Mid Donovan Mitchell with 30 points once again, and Jordan Clarkson 24 once again. My prediction is actually one that I got right. I said they were gonna win the rest of the way out of the series, so hey, that's one for me. It's not going to be like that the rest of the way, but there's one for me. Next up, the two-seeded Suns are taking advantage of Anthony Davis being out as they look to close this series on Thursday, a damn recording. Let's go ahead and go into the games. Game four, the Suns win 192. Uh, Something I really noticed and something that you probably heard... Well, I guess it came out on Tuesday, but last week as I was talking about it, I really uh, touched on if if a team didn't have someone over 20 that they were most likely lost. But the Suns, they did none of their players had 20, but they really distributed scoring. Had six players scoring in double figures, and that is how you win a game, especially against the Lakers, which you can need anything you can against them. And then in Game 5, the Suns win 115-85, to 85, just a beat down. Big storyline in the game, LeBron was leaving early when they were down by 29 or so, I believe it was. Um, honestly, if it's me, it's it kind of like where, you know, there's unwritten rules in baseball. I feel like that's an unwritten rule for basketball. No matter how bad your team is doing, you really need to stay on the bench and not go to the locker room beforehand but who knows maybe something else was going on you never know LeBron really there's a bunch of uh just a lot of things especially of how old he's how much older he's getting maybe some health problems maybe had to stretch out a little bit who knows but otherwise in that game Devin Booker goes off for 30 points and my prediction um well let's see I have the Lakers in the finals 
So my prediction is wrong, probably, because with Anthony Davis being out, I really just do not see the Lakers. I don't see him making out of it this series, let alone make it to the finals. So probably wrong in that one, but we will see. Next, the Nuggets are looking to close out the Trailblazers on Thursday, a day I am recording this. We will see how that goes. Uh, let's go into the games. Game four, the Blazers win 115-95. They held all Nuggets under 20 points. But, as I said, if you don't have a lot of dis- uh, scoring distributed throughout and no one scores 20, 20 or above on your team, you're not really going to win that well. Damian Lillard with a slow 10 points. I don't believe he was injured. If he was, then uh, then that makes sense. But even without Dame scoring as much as he should or as much as he does in the playoffs, Norm Powell came through with 29. Big game for him. Then we move on to game five where the Nuggets win 147-140 to 140 in overtime. Damian Lillard became the first player to have 50 points, 10 assists, and 10 three-pointers in a game ever, playoffs or regular season. Big shout out to Damian Lillard. Don't think anyone will be touching that for a long time. Uh, But on the winning side, Nikola Jokic with 38. Monte Morris with 28. That's a name that you don't really think about that much. I remember when he was at Iowa State, I believe. You never really think he was going to be that great. Um, it was some, he was great. He was good in college, but someone that you don't really expect to be, to be scoring 28 in a playoff game. And then we have Michael Porter Jr. with 26 points. He's going to be really good for the rest of his career. The way that, um, he fell in the draft was, um, it was justified because of all the injuries. Well, he really had the one injury in college, but, um, man, people are really going to regret, uh, not getting Michael Porter Jr. for the Nuggets. And so it comes to my prediction. On my notes, I have to be determined, but now as I'm remembering them, I said it was going to be a close series, which so far looks pretty good. But if the Nuggets do win game six, they obviously move on. I don't, but like I said, I don't think that if they move on, they will go much further. So to be determined, but kind of looking like, I don't know, I was really vague about that. So have it be to be determined, probably chalk it up as an L. Next up, the Clippers are doing all that they can to take down the Mavs. Now, like I said last week when I recorded, um, I trashed Paul George because um, I don't really know the reason why. Well, I said the reason why. I just don't think that he's um, that great of like a first or he's a good sec. He's a great second option, but I don't like him as a first option, and that's all he thinks he is. Yeah, he did really well in the past couple games. So game three, the Clippers win 118-108. to 108. Kawhi Leonard with 36, Paul George with 29. Yeah, um, that really did come back to bite me, didn't it? But um, I don't know. The, I think part of it is just how everyone else talks about Paul George, like playoff P, that was really a disaster. Pandemic P, um, really, really even worse. So it also, I might be a little biased because he was at, he was with the Pacers decided that um, he didn't like it, so he left. Which I mean, it's respectable. He's an L.A. guy. He's not really used to a small market like that, but he did go to Oklahoma City, so not really a big difference in markets there, I would say. But then he got to go where he's at now, which is L.A. Uh, on the losing side of the game from Game 3, Luka with 44 points. As I said, if you're not watching Luka, you really need to. 
watch highlights on him. He's like I said, he's going to be the next generation's greatest player. He's so young and he's already so good. So be on the lookout for him. Game four, the Clippers took it 106 to 81. Kawhi with 29, PG with 20. All Mavs were held under 20 points. Again, a really key thing. But um, yeah, like I said, unless you're distributing points, it's not really. You need someone to go over 20. Someone you always need to look for. Either balanced offense or a somewhat balanced with someone scoring over 20 is really the best you can do in the NBA. Game 5. Mavericks took it 105-100. to Close game there. Luka had 42 points and Tim Hardaway Jr. stepped up with 20 points. Um, Yeah, again, Tim Hardaway Jr., he was, he was good at Michigan. Uh, borderline great at Michigan. I wouldn't say he's one of the top players to ever go there. But again, he's just one of those players where you don't really see him scoring 20-plus in a playoff game. Like, really, his most memorable moment in the NBA that I... When I think of Tim Hardaway Jr., I think of this is when he was in a shootout with, I think, Deion Waiters in the rookie-sophomore game. That's about all I got for Tim Hardaway Jr., guys. (laughs) So, that was a great shootout, though, if you really want to watch that. Um... I guarantee if you look up Tim Hardaway Jr., Deion Waiters, he'll be there. He'll be one of the first ones that pulls up. So when it comes to my prediction, I have to be determined because I said the Mavericks will win. I didn't specify how many games I should have done that. I was probably going to say like five. But um, now we're heading into game six. Mavericks are going to try to close it out. But um, yeah, to be determined. If the Mavs do win, then it'll just be another disappointing year in the eyes of Clippers fans, which I don't think there's ever been a year for Clippers fans that's been promising, especially when it comes to the playoffs. All right, now we head on over to the Eastern Conference on that side of the bracket. So to start off, the 76ers have beat the Wizards in five games. If we go ahead and go into the games, Game 3 to 76ers won 132-103. to Joel Embiid with 36 points and Tobias Harris with 20. Game four, the Wizards won 122 to 114. Do or die game. They really stepped up, especially on their home court. Bradley Beal with 27 points and Rui Hachimura with 20. Really big game for him, especially since I believe it's his first playoff series. So good for Rui. And then in game five, the 76ers finally closed the Wizards out with a score of 129 to 112. Uh, Joel Embiid was out. I believe he had a men- meniscus problem. That's a really tough word to say. He had a meniscus problem. So, Seth Curry decided to step up. Not Stefan. He stepped up with 30 points and Tobias Harris. Uh, he picked up some slack, too, for a solid 28 points. That's really good for Tobias Harris. Um, one thing you'll really notice in this series is that uh, Ben Simmons is not really scoring. A lot, which I don't think he really has to with this team, especially with Tobias Harris. He's a primary scorer for them. Joel Embiid, he gets he touches the ball every possession pretty much that he's on the floor. Ben, he's really there. Get the ball to the right places, which is what he does really well. And defend their best player at first, and then they'll put Thibel on him later. Uh, ben Simmons is doing his job. The one thing he really needs to work on is his free throws because they were hacking him. Or it's well called hack-a-shacking. But they were hacking him so he could shoot free throws and miss them. So, really needs to work on that. For my prediction, had the right team, wrong number of games. I thought the Sixers would sweep, but Wizards clutched up in game four. So, I'm not wrong totally, 
but that's like a half W, but at the same time, it's like I didn't get the right number of games, so it's okay. Next up, the Nets close out the Celtics in five games. Go into the games here. Game three, the Celtics won 125 to 119, and I said I wasn't going to cover the losing side that much, but this line in it for a losing team was insane. James Harden with 41 points and Kevin Durant with 39, and they still lose. That's um, that would be rough if you score 41 and 39 respectively. You both combine for 80 points and you still cannot get a win. That'd be rough. But on the other side, Jason Tatum became the third youngest player with a 50-point playoff game, scoring 50 points exactly. He was short four points of John Havlicek's franchise record, 54 points in a playoff game. Also for the Celtics, Marcus Smart had 23. Really has a to step up since Jalen Brown is injured. Game four, the Nets come back with vengeance, winning 141-129. to 129. Kevin Durant with 42, Kyrie Irving with 39, and James Harden with 23. You know, a light 23 for Harden is what it seems like. But on the other side, Jason Tatum still with 40, but um, just not enough for the Celtics. And that stat line from the Nets, that's... How people have how people have another team other than Brooklyn in the finals is absurd. Will could they lose? Yes, absolutely. I mean anything can happen in basketball, which is why I love it so much. But like man, looking at that offense, it just seems like nothing can stop them. And like I said last week, you you focus on one person, the other two are just gonna pick it up. Will the Nets make the finals because I predicted it? No, probably not, because all my predictions go wrong, except for having the Jazz sweep the Grizzlies. (laughs) That's the only one I'll get right. And then finally, in Game 5, the Nets finish the job 123-109. to Harden with 34, Kyrie Irving with 25, and Kevin Durant with 24. The amount of offense on that team is staggering numbers to me. For my prediction, right team, wrong number of games. I, I said the Nets would sweep. I didn't predict Jason Tatum to go off for 50 points in a playoff game. But um, Good job for the Celtics. We will talk about their future later on. But um, really interesting to see where this team goes. Next up, um, I actually did get something else right because the Bucks swept the Heat. So in game four, the Bucks won 120-103. to 103. Giannis Antetokounmpo and Chris Middleton, the two stars team, had 20 points, but Brooke Lopez had 25, and Bryn Forbes with 22. And I've been seeing Bryn Forbes' name a lot more recently than I have in the past. Um, he was someone that, I know I said this for a couple guys, but he was someone at Michigan State, you didn't think he was making the NBA at all, like let alone doing this in a playoff game. And he's been doing, I've said his name a couple times just for him scoring 20 plus and it really just shows that like work your tail off and you can like Bryn Forbes he worked his tail off he was started out with the Spurs for a little bit he got some playing time now he's in Milwaukee scoring 22 in a playoff game it really is great for Bryn Forbes I really am happy for him watching him in college was pretty fun it always scared me whenever he shot that was a team with Denzel Valentine I think and um that team was scary. 
as I said, my prediction, correct. So, hey, two for seven so far. How about that? I like those odds. And finally, the Hawks have closed out the Knicks in five games. Game three, the Hawks won 105-94 on the losing end of the, on losing end of the game. D. Rose went off for 30 points. Derrick Rose, I really need to stop writing nicknames in my notes because I just say them, but sometimes people don't know who they are. But he goes off for 30 points. Really in, really great to see him do that. He's been in the league 11 years, and it's really great to see him, especially if he was so good. He had he was going to be the greatest point guard ever, but um, that ACL, man, that was a heartbreaker. His It just gave out on him. He's really bounced around a lot. Went Started out in Chicago, went to New York, went to Cleveland, went to Minnesota, and now he's back in New York. And I wouldn't be surprised if he finishes his career off in Chicago. But um, really great to see D. Rose do that. Such promise. But, um, man, sometimes your body will betray, will betray you. That's exactly the case for Derrick Rose. For the Hawks, Trey Young was the only player over 20 points. and But... Six others scored in double digits. So, like I said, the Hawks, they did have someone who scored over 20. But you also have that balanced scoring where six players score double digits. So, that's really how you got to win games. Just evenly distribute the ball. Let your star do his thing. And you got it. Um, with game four, the Hawks won 113-96. Trey Young with 27. John Collins with 22. And Danilo Gallinari with 21. I haven't heard his name with high scoring in a while. So, um, good for Danilo Gallinari. Uh, game 5, Hawks won 103-89, and Trey Young had 36 points. Amazing for him in his first playoff series. Uh, for my prediction, wrong on every part. I said the Knicks would win in 7 because of Derrick Rose and his experience. But I forgot to um, factor in which is stupid for me not to do, that this was a shortened season, and um, younger teams really prevail in shorter season. It's been that way. The prime example is the um, 1999 lockout year where the, the Knicks made it to the finals very young. They had an old Patrick Ewing, but they were very young. Along with the Spurs, they were very young. And then last year in the bubble, I mean, the Heat that Heat team was pretty young. Yeah, I really did forget to count that in, and um, really upset at myself for not thinking about that. That's my fault. So, as I said, I was hoping that this was only going to be about me recapping the playoff games. But then on Wednesday, two bombshell announcements decided to go down in the NBA and the NCAA, which made my day a little bit longer, but hey, we're... Gonna, we're going to talk about because it, it really is important stuff. First up, we have, well, first of all, Danny Ainge, president of basketball operations for the Boston Celtics, pretty much the general manager, makes the decisions for the organization, player-wise and uh, coaching staff-wise. He retired, and immediately they named Brad Stevens, who was the, co- who was the head coach of the Celtics, and they named him to president of basketball operations. So now there's a head coaching vacancy in Boston. Um, I really am intrigued to see how Brad Stevens deals with this position because his path doesn't have, like, anything general manager related, which, like, you got to start somewhere. But, I mean, being a head coach is 
it's pretty close. You're not really dealing with contract and s- contracts and stuff like that. He's from not really a small town in Indiana. He went to Zionsville. He went to DePaul and Greencastle, Indiana. He was a head coach at Butler for a few years. Took them to two straight Final Fours when he had Gordon Hayward, Matt Howard, Shelvin Mack for the first year, and then Matt Howard, Shelvin Mack for that second year. In 2010, made it to the final game where they missed, where they lost by an inch because Gordon Hayward missed a heave from half court by literally an inch. And then after that, he went to Boston. He's been there for, I believe, eight years or so, which makes, yeah, makes sense. So, like, he hasn't really... I guarantee Ainge might have been, may have been taking him under his wing, saying like, "Hey, here's what I'm doing. Like, here's all what's happening. What, what would you do? Here's what I'm gonna do. Stuff like that." But um, yeah, people thought Brad Stevens was gonna go to IU, but um, now he's basically the general manager of an NBA team. So I think uh, pretty, I that might be he might have known what was going on. That's why he denied the job. That being said, I am really intrigued to see how he does in the position. I, I'm rooting for him. Obviously, Indiana guy. I want nothing but the best for him. So, it's really it really is interesting to see where he came from and how he's coming up. Now he's the general manager of a team, president of basketball operations. But on to the head coaching vacancy. A lot of names are coming up. Uh, two is a two of his assistants, Jay Larinaga and Jerome Allen. They seem to be. If one of those two is going to get it, Larinaga probably would. But other names are really intriguing. Carol Lawson, who was, I want to say she was the head coach of the summer league team for the Celtics. Either that or she was an assistant. She's been, she has been an assistant for the Celtics before. She is the head coach at Duke for women's basketball. Next up, we have David Vanterpool. He is an assistant coach for the Minnesota Timberwolves. Apparently, he's a good head coach in Canada. has been for a couple years. Next up is Becky Hammond. She is the head assistant in San Antonio. And back in 2014, she was the first full-time woman coach in the NBA um, Becky Hammond will be a great hire. She really does know a lot about the game, obviously because she's the head assistant in San Antonio. You don't get that for not knowing anything. I don't really see her leaving San Antonio, especially since Popovich, he's getting older. If he's not thinking about retirement by now, he really should be. I don't see her leaving San Antonio, but if she did, it would be a great hire. Next up, we have Jason Kidd, Hall of Famer, former head coach in Brooklyn and Milwaukee. But here, but the thing is, uh, he's also an assistant for the Lakers at the moment. But um, when he was a head coach, the only thing people remember Jason Kidd for as a head coach is when he had one of his players bump into him so he could spill his drink on the floor to get a timeout. No no plays, no scheme, nothing. Just he was the guy who forced his player to bump into him so he could pour his drink for a timeout. 
He also never had a winning percentage over 60%, which if I'm looking for a head coaching hire, I'm looking for something who's at least had one season with that. Next up, uh, Chauncey Billups, NBA champ, finals MVP, former ESPN analyst, current assistant with the Clippers. Uh, he's been in the con- he's been in a conversation like this before. Uh, I don't know specifically for head coach, but I do remember him being in the conversation for Cavaliers GM. I, it would be intriguing to see Chauncey go to Boston. They Boston drafted him in 1997. He played, I think, 51 games for them, and then they traded him. <laughs> so, kind of a mistake on uh, Boston's part. That was the, that was the Rick Pitino days. Those are uh, those were not fun if you're a Boston fan. Then we have Lloyd Pierce. He's the former head coach for the Hawks. Uh, looking at his basketball reference page, not very successful. Although one of those seasons was during the pandemic was was the bubble year. So, um, not very successful. I don't know. I don't think he will be hired. Another name I saw was Nate McMillan, a former player, head coach for Seattle from 2000 to 2005, Portland from 2005-2011, and the Pacers from 2016 to 2020. He's a current head coach in Atlanta. Uh, I doubt he'll leave, especially since they won their first round series. Sam Cassell, an assistant in Philly. Um, I feel like he'd be a good coach. I don't know how much Boston would want him, though, especially since he's with Philadelphia, although Philadelphia's a big rival. Maybe they want to steal away their best assistant. Another one is Ime Udoka. He's a former player as well. He's an assistant in Brooklyn. Kenny Atkinson was the Brooklyn head coach from 2016-2020. He's now an assistant for the Clippers. Uh, His teams always did better than what anyone expected, so that, that might be a sneaky hire for them. A big name that I've heard quite a bit, and I've heard from people that I ask, who do you think they would go and get, is uh, Mike D'Antoni. He was the head coach in Phoenix for the Seven Seconds or Less Suns, which is one. It's one of the best teams to never win a championship. Uh, he was also in New York with Carmelo Anthony. He was in Los Angeles for the Lakers in a little bit, and then most recently in Houston for the past few years. When he had Harden, then he had Harden and Chris Paul. And now he's an assistant in Brooklyn under his former player, Steve Nash, who led the seven seconds or less Phoenix Suns. Um, I don't know how much Boston fits D'Antoni specifically because D'Antoni is one of those guys where he, he really is a hard believer in threes are worth more than twos. And that Celtics team... Kimber Walker, who's your point guard, he can shoot, but I, when I think of Kemba Walker, I think of his driving ability. I don't really think of his shot as much. And also, I feel like he's a shorter guard, so it would be harder for him to get threes off. You have Marcus Smart, who, when I think of Marcus Smart, I do not think threes. I do not think offense with Marcus Smart. I think straight defense with Marcus Smart. You have... Jalen Brown, who he is hit and miss. I see him more. I think of him more as a mid-range guy. Jason Tatum, he can shoot. That's really your one guy that you can really count on. And then your center, they're all over the place for their center right now. They also have Evan Fournier who can shoot. So 
Don't know if D'Antoni fits with that team, but it would be a good hire nonetheless. Just for the name. And then the last one I saw was uh, Jerry Stackhouse. He's head coach at Vanderbilt right now. He is a former NBA player. Uh, Vanderbilt has hasn't really been that great under Stackhouse, so I'm I'm not sure if you would really want to risk it with him. Then finally, Coach Mike Krzyzewski. Do not ask me how to spell it. It's a living nightmare to spell that. If that's on a spelling test, good luck with that. Just just take an L on that one. But he is retiring after next season for Duke. It's already been announced that his former player and associate head coach, John Shire, is already going to follow him up. That's a tough one to follow up on. (laughs) Even if he is a former player of his, like, um, Coach K, he's up there as one of the greatest coaches ever. He's up there with Wooden. He's up there with Phil Jackson. He's one of the best. And looking at his resume, as I will list off now, um, you're, you're going to agree with me. Like, <laughs> He was enshrined in the Hall of Fame in 2001, so he's been in the Hall of Fame for 20 years. So there's a. For 20 years, he's been a Hall of Fame coach. As of the day I'm recording this, he's been at Duke for 41 years. He arrived in 1980. He has five NCAA championships back to back in 1991, 1992. Now, when you think of Wooden, he doesn't. When it comes to championships, he doesn't hold a candle to Wooden, but five championships is hard enough. So, let's give him the benefit of the doubt. Like, John Wooden's teams were insane back then, but there also wasn't a lot of competition for them. The biggest game that anyone talks about with those UCLA teams was when they lost to Houston because Lou Alcindor, Kareem Abdul-Jabbar, had an eye, like he couldn't see out of his right eye or left eye. So they lost. I think it was only by a couple points, maybe. And then they play them later on in the year. I think in either the final four or the national championship, and they blow them out. So wasn't a lot of competition for UCLA back in the day. I digress. Coach K with 12 final fours, five of them in a row. Seven-time National Coach of the Year, seven ACC Tournament Championships, 12 ACC Regular Season Titles, and he was named NABC Coach of the Decade of the 1990s. That's a big honor. <laughs> like, There's only one guy who has that, and that's a v- crazy impressive award. He was head coach for the Redeem Team, in 2008, of course, one of the greatest teams to ever be assembled. You had LeBron, Kobe, Dwayne Wade, Carmelo, Chris Bosh, Dwight Howard, Darren Williams. Think Jason Kidd? I can't even think of everyone on that team. It was the Redeem team because it was the closest we've had to the Dream team. Also in 2004, we... 
got bronze in the Olympics, so that was we had to redeem ourselves. And then he was also an assistant on the Dream Team. If you haven't seen the Dream Team documentary, I highly recommend it. The part with uh, Coach K is hilarious when the Dream Team loses to a group of college players that were selected to play them. They were the best in the country. So they lose to them. And one of the players who was a player under Coach K at Duke said, oh, yeah, we beat them we ran them up and down the floor and then he coach k just goes they threw the game like if you go back and look at everything there's no way he they didn't throw the game he's been with usa basketball for a long time he's really been the face of usa basketball probably since the dream team i would say he wasn't the he wasn't the head coach at that time but like when you think usa basketball you think you really do think of Mike Krzyzewski. Um Have I liked many of the players that he's coached? No, not really. But they were good, and that's probably why I didn't like them as much. Like Christian Leitner. I, if I was alive when he was playing, I could not. I would not have been able to stand the guy. But like, some people say that like they don't like Coach K. I think I think part of the reason they say he's arrogant, but like. And I don't even think he's arrogant. He's he's really a good coach. And, like, I admire watching his teams play. Just look up Mike Krzyzewski. Just look up Coach K because if you try to Google it, they probably won't guess it. The search engine won't guess it. But um, heck of a career for Coach K. I believe he said that um, he's not ready to retire yet, but he knows he will be after next year. So he's getting that out of the way. Just saying, I'm going to retire. Now, when I said with Roy Williams that he would probably do something afterwards, I don't know if Coach K will. Probably be one of those things where you see him on a couple ESPN segments. I don't think very much more. Um, So I just want to say congratulations to Coach K. Really one heck of a career, and I do wish him all the best. So, that'll be it for this week's podcast. So, the plan for, I think the plan for uploading is that we are going to, I'm going to record on Thursdays, as I'm doing right now, and then hopefully we're going to, we'll be able to get it uploaded by Friday, so you can listen to it, and then we'll get that back on a normal schedule. So, with that being said, I want to thank you for listening. Follow me on Twitter, at DEverhart00, follow at Trine Broadcast. And uh, we will talk to you next week. Thank you for listening, guys. Thanks for listening to this presentation of the Trine Broadcasting Network, part of the Center for Sports Studies at Trine University. Learn more at trine.edu.